but the habits that can be put in place before the feelings, the emotions, and the skills catch up the behavior, you are that much further ahead. So in addition to telling myself these things, what I do, not how I feel about my past, is going to determine who I am in the future. And I am a 1480, so I act like a 1480. Ooh, that's good. That's so good. You've always been great at telling stories, Lori. Your stories are like we do sometimes in our coaching sessions. We're like, story time with Lori, share a story. And you have you always, always have great stories. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Lori Snowden. Lori's been in the mortgage business for 17 years, and I can't remember when she joined our academy several years ago, and you know, done awesome things with her business, which is cool, but which is even more cool is that she also became a coach and started working with us. And so Lori and I have been working together now for the last 12 months, working with newer agents. And Lori's been amazing. So she's a fantastic coach. Everybody loves Lori, the clients, as well as her referral sources. And what she's really good at is getting people to really like her and want to do business with her and just really enjoyed my time with Lori. A couple of takeaways from this episode, you're going to notice Lori's a fantastic storyteller. She tells some awesome stories. She talks about a hack that she uses in order to hit the new year with a head of steam. And she's got this great mindset and perspective on how to hit the new year. It's coming up soon. So I think you're going to enjoy that. I really like this chat that I have with Lori. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, what kind of stuff do you guys do? Your academy and stuff. Go check out 10loansamonth.com. You can get on the wait list. We're currently closed depending on when you listen to this, but we do open up periodically. And once a year, we run something called the $25 million Blueprint, which is going to be coming up here pretty quick. So if you go to get25million.com, you can get put on the wait list and we'll send you an invite when we open that up. That's our signature program that we run once a year. And it's the first program that Lori actually and I ever worked together on. She came into the, I think the very first version of that many years ago. And now she's one of our amazing coaches that we work with. So super cool. I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. So Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection and submission platform. In the last you know six months or so, they connected with lenders. I think they have a network now over 250 lenders. They got a really great auto compliance platform as well that's plugged into it. And it's also connected to something called Lender Spotlight. It's a really slick program, really easy. It's not over-engineered. Our clients that use it as well as our brokers, they've got great things to say about it. So go check that out, finmo.ca slash ILMB. In the Ask the Expert segment today, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom Finance. And Bloom Finance is the newest entrant in the reverse mortgage market. Those guys are doing some amazing things. And we talk about the three reverse mortgage myths. So check out bloomfin.ca. And thanks again for checking out this episode. Hey, Lori, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm outstanding. We do get to chat more often than, you know, the average broker. I will talk about that in a bit, but tell me a little bit about how you got the mortgage business. Like, So I was actually a teacher of primary grades before I became a mortgage agent. And, you know, what I know now is that I would have been better actually teaching adults. So as I got into the mortgage business through becoming a financial planner and then eventually into the mortgage industry, I realized that teaching people about mortgages is kind of the same as being a teacher and giving them more information on how to take on the biggest expense of their life. So it was actually not that hard of a transition, but it certainly is more. Right. I actually always better. said I would, would have been a teacher if I, you know, I would have really liked that. So, okay. So when did you start in the mortgage business? So give me some timelines on this. So when did you become a mortgage broker? So about 17 years ago, I was in the mortgage industry as a TD road rep. And then I transitioned over to a mortgage agent, you know, doing pretty much the same thing 16 years ago as I do today, just with a lot more flair and 
hopefully a lot more robust information. And, and more fun, have more fun too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and things have changed so much that like, as you can imagine, I remember 16 years ago when I started, like it would be illegal. I'd probably get locked up for doing the things that they were totally legal to do back then, right? So <laughs> it's definitely different. Okay, so before we dive into the rest of your story, I'd love to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. So you must control your attention to control your life. You know, I've talked before about how easy it is to get off track. I don't need a vacation. I just need a Saturday and then I'm already off track by Monday. Mm-hmm. So my weekends, I actually have now time blocked and they weren't. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I really quickly saw how my old bad habits creeped in on a weekday. So on Fridays, I started to look at the weekend and the family plans and I started time blocking the weekend. And it still allows for me to have spontaneity of free time. It doesn't mean that I'm working during the weekend. Schedule spontaneous activity. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I did actually. That's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) But it means actually that my disciplines are not thrown out the window, forcing me to look for them on a Monday. Now, when I have time blocks on the weekends, the family knows that they're not time blocked. They can still come to me and they know that I am there for anything that they need. But having the time blocks for your entire week, including the weekends, it's meant to keep you from wasting time. It actually gives you freedom to do the things that you really want to accomplish. I think actually it's a saying that I heard through you. You don't lack time. You lack skills and priorities. Right. Well, I have to say, so you're one of the coaches in our academy as well as in the brokerage. You do a lot of coaching with us and stuff. And so we work together a ton. And one of the cool things I picked up from you, and I remember you told me where I got it from, was this whole idea of breaking your day into quarters. That has been a game-changing concept for me and I was doing it Monday to Friday and I literally just recently switched to also doing it on the weekends and it's been awesome and so you're totally right it's easy to be so okay at work focus weekends everything blows apart and then I'm like oh my gosh trying to get back on track on Monday so what do you do with the Saturday I'm just curious so here's the big thing is I pretty much get up at the same time every day every day of the week it's the same time slot you know there could be an hour difference but it's not more than that And a morning routine, as I learned from Stevie D, during the week is pretty big and robust. But on the weekend, it is morning routine light. So it still involves journaling and reading for 10, 15 minutes. It still has some of the, even it's not necessarily business aspect, but it still has growth as a person aspect to it. And You know, I have kids to drive to school or to their jobs on the weekend and to hockey practice and judo or skating. Those are still in there, but they're time blocked. Makes it easier then for me to say, okay, you know what, actually, I would like to work on this particular item in my life, whether it be organizing my closet, I've time Mm -hmm. blocked it. So it's not just up in the air and I'll get to it when I get to it. Yeah, I've been doing that too. Like We've got this big tree that keeps dropping leaves in the yard and I like to get them every few days instead of you know, at the end of the season. And so it's like, check. And then there's a little dopamine yeah. that you get when you're like, there's something <laughs> about like, I'm like, oh. so it's awesome. So yeah, I love that you did that. Okay, so obviously you figured out how to apply this. You said you must control your attention to control your life, but there is failure that happens. Obviously not everything we do in touch works. So can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? You asked me this several years ago and I had such a different answer than I do now. And I hadn't realized my answer now 
back then. And I was still already, you know, 14, 15 years in the business, but I have failed at keeping the lies I tell myself out of my head for too many years. Like it's just, it was constant. Even as I did a higher level of coaching, it was still one area of my business I couldn't seem to conquer. You know, you're not good enough for this client. You're a little too high end for you. They're going to go to the bank. So, you know, don't even make the effort because it's not even about like or dislike. You're not going to be able to meet their needs because you just don't have the information and you don't know how to get it. Then I saw this video last September, two hours before I started my very first coaching session with you. The one that I did with you were acting as a coach. Yeah, yeah as a coach. And you know where I'm going with I, this. I know this. I love this. I, you got, yeah, this is like, this is awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I play it for others all the time, but I actually listen to it about two times a week in the actual video itself. And it's about the most successful magazine entrepreneur in the world. This guy's failing out of high school. He was struggling with being raised by a single mom who had multiple jobs in order to put food on the table. But he had promised his mom he would take a test called the SATs, which we don't have in Canada. It is a standardized test typically taken in grade 12 or even grade 11, and it helps determine your post-secondary path. And it has a math, a verbal component, each worth about 800. So a final score is out of 1,600. An average mark is about 1050, and a really good mark is about 1200. Anything 1340 and above is considered elite. So this guy takes his test in May of grade 11. And he gets his score back in June. Now, this guy's failing out of school. He does not expect anything. But he gets his mark back, and it's a 1480 out of 1600. And he shows his mother, and she said, did you cheat? And he <laughs> that's, says, that's nice. I'm like, hey, how did you get that mark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, actually, I tried to cheat. But the way the scorecards were set up, it was impossible. So she says, you mean you really got that score? And he's stunned too and says, yeah, I got that score. So the guy realizes he's smart. So here he is going into grade 12. He decides he's going to attend all of his classes, stops hanging around with the guys he did before, and he does the work. Teachers see him in class and realize he's making an effort, so they start treating him differently. He graduates from high school, goes to a community college, gets into a state university, and then eventually moves on to Ivy League school. And he becomes the most successful magazine entrepreneur that we have. And actually, I don't know who the guy is because I guess he's asked to remain anonymous. Okay, so this guy's smart. And this just needed a standardized test to unlock his brain. But that's actually not the story. This is where it gets really good. Twelve years after all this guy's success, he gets a letter in the mail from Princeton, New Jersey. He opens it. True story. Turns out it's the SAT board. And they periodically review their test-taking procedures and the policies. And the year that he had taken the test, he was one of 13 people who received the wrong score. And his score was actually a 740, but it was marked twice. So it came to him as a 1480 out of 1600. The guy goes on to say that people think that his whole life changed when he got the 1480. But he says his whole life changed when he started acting like a 1480. And what does a 1480 do? He goes to class. He does the work. Now, the language on this is powerful, but your behavior is way ahead of your success. So many people let their feelings dictate what they do, as opposed to doing what is needed to get where you want to be. No one wants to get up before 7 a.m. 
Mm-hmm. No one wants to turn off to Netflix to read a book on mindset. Some of that stuff is boring. It may be informational, but it's still boring. But the habits that can be put in place before the feelings, the emotions, and the skills catch up the behavior, you are that much further ahead. So in addition to telling myself these things, what I do, not how I feel about my past, is going to determine who I am in the future. And I am a 1480. So I act like a 1480. Ooh, that's good. That's so good. You've always been great at telling stories, Lori. Your stories are like <laughs> we do sometimes in our coaching sessions. We're like, story time with Lori, share a story. And you have you always, always have great stories. So, okay, there's always these little things, right? So for you, you use that as like a reset or a reminder to keep yes. yourself to be like, hey, look, it's my behavior, not my past, not my whatever, that's going to determine these outcomes. And so... I love that. Let me ask you this. How has that changed some of your behaviors? Or what's a behavior that you think you're doing now that you know you wouldn't have been doing if you hadn't applied this? So the time blocking on the weekend was a big one for me because, I mean, everybody wants to have weekend as free time. And I have actually in front of me, you can't see it, obviously. And I wrote it on the wall, directly on the wall. And it says, I am a 1480. And it reminds me all the time. We have moments where we're beaten down with a bad file or a client who's unhappy with us. And all our efforts are not going to change their reaction. We have to remind ourselves that keeping everything on path and not reacting to a bad action is so important for you because that 1480 comes in those little details. It's not the big things. Yes, it's great that we wake up every day at 5 a.m. It's what you do between 5 and 7 that makes that difference. Everybody can wake up and just do nothing. Yeah. So it is how I spend my time that is very, very important. Now, that definitely changed in the last year, how I spend my time. Right. That's amazing. So that kind of leads into my next question. So what's been the biggest change you made to your business in the last 12 months? My business currently is in maintenance mode. And normally everybody would set their year end as December 31st. But what I did was I set my year end as November 15th rather than December 31st. And the two reasons is one, I do a deep dive into my processes. So normally every Friday I go through what my customer journey is, what my process is, anything I can add or improve upon. But once a year, I look at technology communication, the customer journey on a grander scale. So this would be CRM and technology, Mm -hmm. you know, but this industry has so much opportunity to allow us to grow and improve. I found that if I waited until the new year or even the end of the year, you know, I was doing business review when I really wanted to get the ground running. So actually it was Sai Lee who taught me, he said, you know what, if you start your year, beginning of your year, November 15th, on January 1st, you're six weeks ahead of everybody else. Ooh, that's good. It's like cheating in a way. Yep. So that's good. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. So not only were you in our coaching program, but you've been a coach with us now and expanding that role as we continue to go down that road. So what for you has been your kind of biggest takeaway from being part of the academy and the coaches and stuff that we have? Because I know I'm one of the people that's there, but we've got some great people. As you know, there's some amazing people, amazing coaches in our academy. And so I'm just curious, what's been your biggest kind of take that's been helpful for you? Well, you know, actually, you've said it. There's so many parts to your coaching program. That in itself is what's really helpful. Because I'm changing and growing. You are evolving your program as well. The one thing that I will say is that my biggest takeaway is to show up to Game of Phones. Mm -hmm. So even though 
you don't feel like it. Sales is a contact sport. You don't feel like it every single day. But Game of Phones allows me to put into practice what I need to with a cheering squad. Yeah. You know, this is quite a lonely job at times. We're alone at home or even alone in our office with a client on the other end who may or may not even want to talk to you. But there are, you know, 10 other people, 20 other people who are going through the exact same thing at the exact same time. Right. Yeah, it's been amazing to see. And how many times have you been in a row now? Like 140? 137, I think, yeah. 137. So it's crazy. And there's a couple other folks that have been very consistent with it. Let's go back a couple of years. How was your phone calling versus now? Like in terms of your confidence? Yeah. Just inconsistent. That was actually one of the things about your coaching program is it teaches us consistency. We can only implement so much at a time. One thing you can do, though, is you can make phone calls for an hour every day. So even if you are new or established, you still have to make phone calls every day. Mm-hmm. And it is so much more enjoyable to have, you know, other people there. And you yourself have brought on a coach for us who we can listen to. You know, he makes 100 calls a day. He's fabulous. Yeah. We don't have to be like low. him. Has, yeah, you don't yeah. have to be him. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Asking me about big things that I've learned. It's actually the little things day to day that are making the biggest difference in my business. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So let me ask some rapid fire questions. So what's one thing you can't find out about you from Google? I play the bagpipes. And at one time I, I was this. good enough. I was actually competitive. <laughs> competitive bagpipes. You're Scottish. Yep. Competitive bagpipes. <laughs> right. I always loved, have you ever seen Toy Married an Axe Murder? No, I don't think I have. You haven't seen that? Oh my gosh. You got to watch that. Is that with Julia Roberts? No, it's with Mike Myers and it is so funny. You'll die. It's Shannon's favorite movie when we first started dating, and you got to watch it. Okay, so what's one movie everybody should watch at least once? Shawshank Redemption. Mm, yeah, that's a good it one. It teaches you that no matter what situation you're in, there's always a solution. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And then what's one piece of tech or digital program that you find helps your business run better? So Remarkable 2 is an electronic notebook, and that particular piece of technology has really changed my year this year. I got it in May. I don't have any paper around me anymore. It is everything and I don't have to worry. It uploads to, I think, OneDrive. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. You just know you I can just get know it. How you to can, find, you can find it. I can get it. You write. It's like writing in a notebook and then it right. goes to tech. Fabulous. That's Worth awesome. every penny. What about What's one book you recommend for our listeners? So my favorite book, I think I told you this. I've got to put this in the group is David Goggins, You Can't Hurt Me. I knew you were going to say that. I knew that, yeah. Have now, you been living, the, with, living with a seal? Yes, only because DVD told me about it. Yeah, it's so funny. But anyways. Yeah. My favorite story, one more story. Okay, go for we it. We have time for one more story? Oh, yeah. So David was an at-risk youth with a poor start to life, abusive father, you know, he had a learning disability. And he sees this presentation, I think it was at school, from an Air Force person. And this guy is a pararescue man. His name's Scott Guerin. And he teaches people, they jump out of planes to pull pilots out of harm's way. And he tells a story that he's working with two trainees doing first aid, including how to do a tracheotomy in the field. And the next day is their jump. And it's a standard exercise with a high altitude jump from about 13,000 feet. He jumps, deploys his parachute, and everything's going fine. But the guy who jumps after him starts to have problems and ends up going through Scott Garrett's chute. He gets entangled with his jumper and 
when the other guy goes through a shoot, he actually hits Garen in the face with his knees and he knocks him unconscious. So he actually falls to the ground, about 100 miles per hour, they figure. But because he was unconscious, he was limp when he hit the ground, so he actually survived the fall. But before the ambulance gets there, Garen needs a tracheotomy. And there were only two people who were trained in doing the field trachs. And it's the two guys who Garen had trained the day before. So unknowingly, this Scott Garen has trained the two people to save his life. And this book is so much about perseverance and developing mental strength. Our job is not always easy. We have to lean on others during our messes and our fires because, you know, all our preparation does not mean we won't have problems. No. Somebody might go through your shoot. <laughs> like, right? Exactly. Everything's fine until somebody rips through your shoot. You're like, oh, crap, that's not fine. <laughs> That's a crazy story, man. That's so crazy. It's a great book too. I've read it. It's yeah. very inspiring. You're like, wow, I think my life is hard. I think it's good to yeah. read these things sometimes just to give us perspective because we can think, oh, you don't know how hard I have it. And everybody has their own struggles. But when you see what some people have had to come through, it's a bit inspiring. You're like, okay, you know, I can probably dig a little deeper. I can probably push through this a little bit. I am trying right now to help make my kids read self-help books because I mm -hmm. figured, you know, I know that they're going to read novels and that's fine. I use Audible for them just because some of the stuff's a little more adult, depends on what it is, but I pay them $50 per book. Mm -hmm. Somebody else tell me they paid 20. I paid $50. That's a lot. I mean, that, I mean, that must mean something because you don't spend 50 bucks unless yep. I know how you nope. are. You're like, it's not, <laughs> you're not parting with that money easily. Yeah. They both finished it on the same weekend on Labor Day weekend, and they came back with the $50 and gave it back to me and said, we learned a lot from this book. I was like, wow. That's cool. Give me goosebumps. Okay, so elevator question. If you were in an elevator with your ideal client, you got 30 seconds. Laurie, what do you do? You know, a stranger standing in the elevator, what would you say? You know my answer. I sell I, money. You sell money. Yeah, that's <laughs> my, I sell money. It's a great answer, actually. And then if you could go back in time, you know, put you in the DeLorean, send you back to your first day as a mortgage broker, and you could give yourself three pieces of advice, what would you say? You know, when I saw the question, because this question I was able to see ahead of time, you know, I had actually the same answer, three of them. Call your database, call your database, call your database. However, I'll add two more things to that is grow your list and get into the VIP club and then call your database. Right. <laughs> There, that's really good. And call your database, by the way, if you're new, it's just anybody in your phone. They don't have to be a client yeah. to be called, nope. right? If you look at what Wilson has done, so he was telling me he's called people from 18 years ago that he hasn't talked to or worked with in 18 years, and he's getting mortgages from them because they're in his phone. I heard him that day. That was inspiring. I went back. I have kept people who I may have lost to TD or CIBC, another bank. And I have actually kept these people and I've started calling them and they don't always have their own mortgage to give me, but they have a referral. And right. that particular story, I had already started calling, not necessarily clients, but that story really ramped it up for me. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, Lori, where do people find you online? Can they find you online? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I don't know if they can't find me online. Yeah, no, I work with mortgageguys.com and it's L-O-R-I-A-N-N-S-N-O-W. D-E-N at gmail.com. Lorianne Snowden at gmail.com. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Lori. Love chatting with you. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I always love talking to you, Scott. Anytime. Hey, Ben. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be back. 
So today we're talking about three reverse mortgage myths that we were having a discussion before we jumped on here. Let's get into those today and what mortgage brokers and clients don't know about reverse mortgages. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we can't shy away from the fact that some people have misconceptions about reverse mortgages. We spend a lot of time talking to clients about these and it's good to kind of arm brokers and agents with this information as well. Okay, awesome. So what's the first myth that you commonly see people think about reverse mortgages? Yeah, so the first one we hear a lot is it's just too expensive, right? Reverse mortgages are too expensive. And yeah, that used to be the case, right? If you go back to the 80s and 90s, you're looking at reverse mortgage rates in the mid-teens, right? And when you're not paying down the balance, yeah, that can kind of add up pretty quickly, right? But the reality is, is that rates have come down dramatically over the last number of years, right? And so now basically all the lenders in Canada, you can get a reverse mortgage for around or below 5%. That's a slight premium to a, you know, your primary mortgage from TD. But, you know, there's some significant benefits that come from a reverse mortgage, right? A, no payments ever. And then obviously reverse mortgages also come with like a slew of like protections for borrowers that you don't get with a traditional mortgage. We can talk more about those. But I think one of the most powerful arguments is, do you know what's more expensive than, you know, call it 4.99% on a reverse mortgage is selling your home, right? And sacrificing right. all that upside on home price appreciation or selling investments from your retirement portfolio that are earning you more than, you know, that reverse mortgage rate and paying tax on those investments. Obviously reverse mortgage proceeds are tax-free. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So the first myth, it's too expensive, actually, when you look at the numbers on it, it's not the case. So, okay, what's the second myth that people have when it comes to reverse mortgages? Some of the borrowers that we talked to have some confusion around, do they own their home? You know, could they be forced to move out? So first of all, right out of the gate, yeah, 100%, a borrower continues to own 100% of their home. They continue to have 100% of, you know, the benefit of property price appreciation on that home. But one of the specific things that's like great about reverse mortgages is it's purpose built for seniors to keep them in their homes, right? As long as they want to stay there. There's just a number of features of reverse mortgage, like no callability by the lender, right? No loan to value cap that you could hit such that if, you know, the home prices fell, the lender could call the loan. It's really kind of a set it and forget it option for borrowers that they don't get with other types of loan options that'll keep them in their house. All they really need to do is pay their property taxes, pay their home insurance and keep their home in good repair. And there's nothing to worry about there. Right. Which that's pretty normal stuff. So yeah, it's not actually true that you can't, you know, it's interesting how they've designed the product though, to be so consumer friendly compared to like the callability. I've got friends, this guy, he's a senior now, but he went through that whole spike in the 80s of interest rates and he had business loans and it was all callable. Like you don't realize that line of credits, HELOCs are all callable. A lot of loans, mortgages, the bank set up. It's not just because you missed a payment. They can call it because they need your money. They can call it because they see that your business is down. And that happened to my in-laws, right? They called them and said, yeah, your business is down. We want our money back. They're like, we can't pay. Well, then we're going to foreclose. And now you're forced to go out and find money or sell or so, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. The callability part of it makes the HELOC a lot less appealing, you know, for certain situations because it's really their choice if they want to do. And I know of like a lot of the HELOCs as well, they register them for significantly higher interest rates than what you're charged, which means they can change it. They can just be like, okay, great. We're changing your interest rate and there's nothing you can do, right? So there's that other risk as well. So too expensive, could be forced to move. What's kind of the last myth that people have when it comes to reverse mortgages? Yeah, I mean, and this is probably the most common one that we hear, the one that we spend the most time talking to clients about is this fear that the reverse mortgage is going to eat away all their equity, and they're not going to have anything left to leave their children at the end of the day. And in the vast majority of cases, that's just not the case. And the reason why that is, is A, yeah, there's slightly more conservative loan to value ratios for reverse mortgages than other types of mortgages, right? We're not going to give somebody 90% loan to value on a reverse mortgage. Right. Um, but really, the benefit is home price appreciation, right? Like, that's the thing that people forget. And obviously, you don't even need kind of the recent levels of home price appreciation for that home equity to continue to grow alongside the reverse mortgage balance. Just like a couple of quick stats for you. 
over 99% of reverse mortgage borrowers all time in Canada have had equity in the home when the mortgage became due at the end of the day. And on average, it's more than half of the home value. So the majority of borrowers have more than 50% equity to value in their homes at the end of the day. So that's just a common misconception that we talk a lot about with clients. Right. Because of the appreciations offsetting that that increase in the loan size over time, you know. And so if you guys listening to this, so you go to bloomfin.ca, you guys have a great calculator that lets you play with, you put in the value of your home, you put in what you think the appreciation is going to be, and then it lets you know, you know, how much equity you'd have in your home at the end of a period. So it's actually pretty slick. So go check that out at bloomfin.ca. So what's the kind of the last word on the myths of reverse mortgages? Yeah. So I think just like I said, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about reverse mortgages. We certainly spend a lot of time talking to clients and kind of assuaging their concerns around that. You know, number one, a lot of people think they're too expensive. You know, perhaps they could be forced to move out or, you know, the reverse mortgage is going to eat away all their equity. And just the reality is just none of these things are the case anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like everything. It's changed a ton. Mortgages have changed. Interest rates have changed. And so people need to be informed on this. So if you're listening to this, you're like, hey, this is cool. You know, Ben and Bloom Finance, they're fantastic. You can go check them out, bloomfin.ca. And one of the cool things about working with mortgage brokers is if you want, they'll actually take care of everything with the client. You still get paid as if you did the whole thing. They're very good at, you know, helping people understand the product. Yeah, I think it's awesome to have some competition in the space. There's been a lot of shakeup recently in the reverse mortgage space. And so I think you guys are perfectly situated for the growth that's going to continue. So awesome, man. Well, good chat with you, Ben. Thanks a lot, Scott. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.